support for This American Life comes from no one. This is a parody of This American Life by the Segment City Podcast. Well, I guess you won't be needing the ad guy now, huh? Is it because I sound like someone told me to talk slowly and clearly, and I took it to heart maybe a little too much? Anyways, enjoy. In 1964, a psychologist named Milton Rokiewicz released a book called The Three Christs of the Ypsilanti. The case study is about Rokiewicz's experiment on three paranoid schizophrenics in Ypsilanti, Michigan, who all thought that they were Jesus Christ. There's even a movie released in 2017 about the case. Rokiewicz got the idea from reading an article about two women claiming to be the Virgin Mary, becoming roommates. And once confronted with somebody with a conflicting belief, one of them was cured of her delusion. If it could work for them, why not these three men? Suffice it to say, it did not go very well. The men became irritated and even had physical altercations, none of them being shaken from their beliefs. And this is where the story takes a turn for the immoral, if it wasn't questionable already. Not getting the response he wanted, Rokiewicz started sending letters to his patients, using their delusions to fight their delusions. He sent letters from one of the men's new imaginary wife, Madam Yeti Woman. When he tried to convince them through these letters that they weren't Jesus, they stopped responding. Rokiewicz even got a research assistant to flirt with one of the men. But this only deepened his delusions when she rejected his advances. In the end, the men did not improve and probably became worse. Each explained away the other two Jesuses by saying that they were crazy or controlled by robots. In 1984, Rokiewicz admitted he had not helped anyone. The only thing he did was cure his own delusion, playing God himself. I bring all this up because another psychologist named Dr. Richard Morris decided to try the experiment again. He found three patients with the same delusion, being Jesus, put them in a room together. So what did you think was going to happen? I don't know. I certainly didn't expect what happened. According to Dr. Morris, each of the three patients, two men and one woman, who we will call John, Peter, and Mary, were a bit put off by the other two. It was just kind of awkward. I was looking at my assistant like, yikes, this is not going well. Where is all the punching? I'm sorry, you wanted them to come to blows? It would be exciting to write about, really get people interested. Was that the impetus of the study, though? To get a good story? Yeah, yeah. the last time the experiment was run, it got a lot of attention. Quite frankly, I am not great at my job. And my career is circling the drain a bit. And to be honest, it's working. We, we wouldn't be here if it didn't, hmm? 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 You're in this with me now, Ira. All right, please stop winking at me. What happened next? I think it was John who started patting his knees in rhythm. And then Mary joined in, and before we knew it, they were all jamming out. It wasn't long until they were singing songs together. Most of them Christian-themed. They sang hallelujah 56 times in a row. We counted. Dr. Morris had failed at destroying their delusions. Instead, he helped form a band. 
we were able to get an interview with the patients as Dr. Morris seemed to have thrown the idea of confounding variables out the window. What were you all feeling when you met each other? Well, I was a bit annoyed. Like, who were these two thinking they were me? Call the Department of Justice, there's some identity fraud going on. Yes, but then it was like, I know who I am. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And it doesn't really matter who they think they are, because I am confident in myself. Yep, then we found out we had more in common than being Jesus. We're all into music, and soon we were singing together and having a great time. And they're pretty good too. I'm thinking of bringing the show on the road as their manager and as their caretaker, and I'll be taking 90% of the profits. Isn't that taking advantage of mentally vulnerable patients? As I have said, I am not a good psychiatrist. Are you guys okay with this? Yeah, sure, why not? Dr. Morton is a great humanoid robot and a very good salt manufacturer. Uh, well, do you have a name for the group? Skillet. Three kings. I'm sorry, what? We three kings? Have you forgotten I'm a woman? Two kings and a queen just doesn't sound as good now, does it? Besides, you want to call us Daughter of God Singular? What are we, your backup singers? Oh, look, Skillet. Of course you do. Skillet is already a Christian rock band. You both think you're so high and mighty, huh? Just because you're men? No, because I'm Jesus. We could be Skillet too. Oh, shut up, Peter. You're the Holy Spirit of this Holy Trinity. No one cares about you. You're the Ringo. Oh, lay off him. He's just confused about who he is. Are you saying I'm not Jesus? Of course you aren't Jesus. I'm Jesus. At best, you're probably the reincarnation of one of the lame apostles that no one cares about. Well, I think that you're being a real Judas. <gasps> How about Judas Priest for the name? No! How about we take this off mic? Are you kidding me? This is great. They might fight now. Although it looks like my crazy Jesus band idea might not pan out. I think I might hate you. How do you have a medical license? <laughs> I do not know. The three Jesuses ended up breaking up the band. And with it, the experiment. It's probably for the best. No, it's definitely for the best. But it kind of ruins our theme of coming together this week. Can we pivot to another theme? Would anyone care? From WBZ Chicago, this is This American Life, Meyer Glass. Stay with us. Act 1, The Discord of Democracy. Local government is the bedrock upon which our government is laid. In a lot of ways, it affects more people's day-to-day -day lives than most of what the federal government does. And yet, people don't really engage with their local government. Most people probably don't know who their local representatives are. But the people who do engage tend to be very passionate about it. And where there is passion, there is conflict. A quick warning... 
there are curse words that are unbeeped in today's episode. If you want a beeped version, you can find it at our website, This America Life. Oh, I fucked up. Can we do another take? What do you mean we can't? Are we recording this on fucking gold? Carving the waveform into diamonds? What the fuck do you mean we can't do another take? Do you know who the fuck I am? I'm Ira fucking Glass. Your paychecks say they are from me because I rake in all the money for this show. Do you know what it would do to my reputation if I fucked up saying our website name, thisamericafuckinglife.org? I guess let's throw it to our producer, Myra Ass, with more. Rutherford is a small town in southern New Hampshire. It's the kind of place where everyone knows everyone. That's the McGovern's house. It's a nice place. Very pastoral. Yeah, a lot of the places around here are old farmhouses or barns. If it's not from the 1800s, a McMansion from the 90s that has more space than style. That's Emma. She grew up around here. She's been living and working in Massachusetts, but hasn't changed her voter registration so that she can still vote in Rutherford. I don't know why she let me follow her, because what she's doing isn't strictly legal. But I'm not complaining. Because tonight is the much-anticipated town hall meeting. For anyone not from a small town, that might seem like an oxymoron. Emma drove up here with me to participate in it. Why haven't you registered to vote in Massachusetts? Hmm. Rutherford means a lot to me. Um, I feel like I know the community, and I feel like my vote matters here. Plus, if I leave, they might try to defund the schools again. Again? Everyone might know everyone around here, but that doesn't mean that everyone agrees on everything. The town hall meeting has taken on almost mythical proportions in the town as a gladiatorial arena for ideas. A new blood sport for the modern age, where political ideologies clash, grievances are aired, and shouting is commonplace. In a town like this, the town hall meeting has a legacy, and people have long memories. Oh, that's Lauren Andrews. She tried to propose slashing the music budget a couple years ago, and people were not happy. What happened? The school band found out and showed up to the meeting to play whenever she tried to speak. The article did not pass. And after that, they would show up on Sundays at 6 a.m. at her house to play, loudly. How long did that go on for? Mm, about a year. We arrived at the high school where the meeting was going to take place. It looked more like a tailgating party for a football game than a local government function. The gym is packed by the time we get in. Are you nervous? A little. You never know what stupid thing people are going to propose and how popular it might be. A guy almost got all shellfish banned from the town because his son might have been allergic. It narrowly failed. Wait, so he wasn't even certain that his son was allergic to shellfish before proposing it? Nope. Although people still drive around with bumper stickers that say, Shellfish almost killed Jacob. Are you next? At this point, 
I was preparing for a brawl. When we walk in, we're handed a packet with all the proposed articles being discussed. It was like looking at a boxing match lineup. Citizens are free to go to Board of Selectmen and Budget Committee meetings and make suggestions. Based on that, these bodies prepare a list of articles that will be discussed, along with proposals from groups like the police, maintenance, and firefighters. On the form we were given, there were suggestions from the Selectmen and Budget Committee with vote counts for who is for and against each article. The public is presented information on the topic, usually by someone like the town clerk or the chief of police. And then the floor is up to debate. And that's when the real magic starts. Emma's parents have already arrived and saved seats for us. A large man named Harold Schofield takes the stage. He's the elected moderator. This is an actual position people voted him into during local elections. Harold is known as a tough but fair man who knows the time to let people speak, but also when to cut them off. So basically, he's perfect for the job. Everyone is ready to get the show on the road, but we need to get through some bureaucracy first. Hello, everyone. We begin with a vote to start the meeting. All in favor, say aye. This is followed by a vote to agree to the rules of the meeting and a vote to agree on what we're going to talk about. Only then does Harold start. Article 1. Road construction on Hillmont Drive. To see if the town will vote to authorize paving Hillmont Drive. The road is uneven and provides a bumpy ride that is damaging to the residents' vehicles. Construction has been estimated to take three months. A few visibly jostled citizens come to the microphone, presumably the ones who proposed the article, and they make their case. I live up on Hillmont Drive, and the dirt and rocks are killing the undercarriage of my car, uh, not to mention the rough bumps. They're messing up my suspension. I constantly have to wash the dust off my car. and My kids look like pig pen from the peanuts. Please pave our road. It's like living on the surface of the moon. Sir, sir, can you back up? This seemed reasonable enough, but not everyone was sympathetic. By the time they were done presenting, there was a line of people ready for a debate. How much is this going to cost the taxpayers? I don't think I should have to pay for a road I don't drive on. But what about our rustic charm? I don't personally drive on these dirt roads, but I like the look of them when I drive by. Hey, you thought about moving? Maybe you could get like a, like a monster truck or, you know, like a, a big fan. The article didn't end up passing, much to the displeasure of the residents of Hillmont Drive. I imagine them driving home tonight, arms crossed, bouncing up and down on their unpaved road. In a similar vein, the next article was to put up streetlights on a busy road known for causing accidents. This one passed, but not without debate as well. Just just learn the road better. I can drive and I've driven that road without my headlights on and I've been fine. And those were some of the tamer articles. The next one was about funding a new science lab for the high school. It began well enough with a high school teacher making his case. 
The old lab was in disrepair. It was becoming a hazard to the students. Based on the nodding heads, it seemed to be a shoe-in. But that didn't stop some residents. A woman named Marianne, who, may I add, had been up to the microphone for every article debate, was first in line, with what seemed like a biology book under her arm. All right, we get it, Marianne. You have opinions, but you don't need to comment on every article. Emma was not thrilled. I would like to make an amendment to this article to remove this textbook from our schools. Mary Ann was waving the book around like a preacher with a Bible. Amendments can be added to any article and don't really have any restrictions, apart from the amendment being shouted down by other residents. If this is in reference to evolution being taught in the classroom, then it may be better to make an article so that it may be properly debated. No, this isn't about evolution. My concern is that this textbook has sharks in it. Sharks? I cannot have my son learning that there are ferocious killing machines in the ocean. You don't want your son to know about sharks. Yes, he saw Jaws on the TV one night, and I had to convince him that they were made up like unicorns or leprechauns or bears. Ma'am, bears are also real. What? Motion to fire the moderator for spreading lies. Motion denied, because you can't do that. Then what are you going to do about this problem? The answer was that Harold would do nothing. He denied the amendment. And with it, any more shark debates. Or so he thought. Hey! I would like to make my own amendment to change the, the town's mascot to a shark! What? There is no such thing as a town mascot. Do you mean the high school mascot? Yeah, sure, whatever you want to call it. Any particular reason? To replace the Rutherford bobcat with a shark? Sharks are badass! A wave of murmured agreements passed through the crowd. Apparently, people thought that sharks were indeed badass. But there's one person who is not having it. There is no way I am allowing my son to know about sharks and whatnot. And this is certainly not going to help. Motion to end discussion on this amendment. How old is your son, Marianne? Twenty-four. Motion denied. Then I demand an exact vote count for the amendment to pass. This was a tried-and-true method to piss people off if someone knew they weren't going to get their way. The process took a while, but the vote passed. 218 to 1. The rest of the night started to blur together, with articles being proposed, amendments being tacked on, and debates over minutia raging. Article 8. To see if the town will vote to investigate JFK's assassination. The federal government knows and the state has the sovereignty to investigate. If not, then we should figure out who's been knocking over my trash cans. 
The article isn't attributed to anyone, so I don't know whose trash cans they are referring to. Article 11. According to the Third Amendment, I, Kelly Crowley, nor any citizen shall house soldiers. My son is in the National Guard. Do I have to kick him out? Well, that's more of a question, which is not what articles are for, Miss Crowley. But the answer to your question is no. Can I, though? Article 13. To see if the town will vote to pursue repairs to the middle school's fire escape to keep up to code. The cost will be $10,000. The debate is open to the floor. We don't need to fund repairs to the school fire escape. When I was a kid, I jumped out those windows all the time, and look at me. I'm fine. I should have been following this guy instead of Emma. This was all leading to the final and arguably most contentious article of the night, Article 14. The article was proposed by the more conservative members of the town and would cap tax increases at a rate conveniently below inflation. It felt like the town was split in half. You could feel the tension in the room rising, not just because everyone knew that there was going to be a war, but because it was midnight. Everyone knew this war wasn't going to be a blitzkrieg. More like it was going to be Vietnam. Costly to get out of. No one was going to be happy in the end. Then something curious happened. Emma's father, Jack Brown, wordlessly stood up and moved towards the mic. He hadn't said much the entire night, but now he had a purpose. A mission. The sound of old ladies' knitting needles clicking crescendoed louder and louder as the collective townspeople watched Jack with nervous anticipation. Motion to table the discussion. Yeah, I second that. Alright, vote to table discussion up to the room. One, two, three. Okay. Motion approved. Thank God. I caught up with Jack after the meeting. Why did you do that? I already sat through three hours of idiotic debates. I was not about to sit through another three hours. And with that, it was over. Everyone filed out of the auditorium, some holding posters with graphs showing tax rate calculations on them. They were visibly angry. But so was everyone else. No one seemed happy coming out of it. No, I was not happy. I'm going to have to have a hard conversation with my son, and that is the town's fault. I've been to 58 of these meetings, and look at me, I'm fine. How do you think that went? Not as bad as I thought it would be, but I can't say I was thrilled by some of the outcomes. It seems like that was the consensus. I guess this is just how these things go. People come in wanting everything and only get some of it, and that makes them mad. Sometimes you just have to compromise. And I suppose... That's the heart of our democracy. Compromise. Everyone has to give something up. You can't make everyone happy, but they need to be content with the decisions. And people are content, or at least content enough to come back to the next town hall meeting to do it all over again.
Myra S. is one of the producers on our show. Coming up, we face our own mortality for a price. And we talk with a man that competes in a big competition over very small things. Back in a minute when our program continues. Support for This American Life comes from This American Life, which gets support from This American Life, which gets support from This American Life, which gets support from This American Life, that which gets support from This American Life, which gets support... It's This American Life. I'm Eric Glass. Each week on the program, we choose a theme bring you stories about it this week's theme ira is a big dummy fit wait a minute i did not approve this who wrote this was it you i see i see you i see you laughing in the booth someone's getting fired for this i am not a big dummy face for the record if anything my face is slightly below average anyway Here's Hasten Marnes to bring you a story about something. People try extremely hard not to think about death. We avoid talking about it. We think graveyards are creepy. We stand around awkwardly at funerals, trying not to bake inconsiderate jokes. It's not often you find a place where death is a permanent fixture, or even just a logistical matter. While many of us keep death out of our thoughts, There are those people whose whole career is to handle what needs to be done when we lose a loved one, and to make it easier for us. This story comes to you after two days at a funeral home to find out what a day in the life of someone who faces death daily is like. Hello, this is Mel Stotson from Mel's Home for the Past. I'm calling to leave a message for uh, Miriam Lafresco. I saw your husband's obituary in the paper this morning and wanted to know if he had found a casket provider or maybe if he's in the market. We have some great deals going on. First-time customers get a keychain with their first purchase. Oh, and also for you, Mary, that deal could apply for any plan in your doing. Like I always say, it's never too early to start thinking about your special day. All right, feel free to give me a call back. Bye now. Yeah, so that's how I usually start my day. Do you get many callbacks? Uh, Only a handful of times. Mostly people are just angry. I can only assume it's because they've lost a loved one. I haven't done anything wrong. One time, I saw Bruce Willis in the obits, gotten covered in cement at a construction site in Hardin or something like that, and I gave him a call, said I could offer them a discount since he had died hard. Love that movie, but uh, they didn't appreciate that, and also said it was Bruce Wilson, not Willis. So to answer your question, yes, sometimes I do have famous clientele. Mel has a very casual relationship with death. He says it's never bothered him. He's a self-described introvert by nature, so having a few extra people laying around the office who keep to themselves is fine with him. 
Mel started his business 22 years ago and has become a fixture on Main Street, decorating the parlor for holidays and often running late-night ads on the local cable stations. He often says, It's never too late to start thinking about your special day, seemingly both in reference to birthdays and funerals. Today, after his cold calls, Mel gets a third cup of coffee and meets with some bereaved customers. While the customer is tense and fidgets in their seat, Mel is clearly at ease dealing with the logistical matter of their lost loved one. So, uh, what's on your shopping list? Well, my, my great aunt passed recently and I came in to pick out a casket for her. All right, well, we have a range of options that could suit your needs. At the premium range, we got the Nexus Series 11, which just launched this year. Complete audio-visual immersion. Audio-visual? This baby's completely packed with features, heated and cooled for inclement conditions, programmable mood lighting, and ambiance, and of course, live-streamable. Built-in 4K display at eye level with all your favorite sports, Super Bowl, March Madness, you name it. So never a dull moment. Full body massage is an optional extra, but I absolutely recommend it. Keeps rigor mortis from setting in. There's an absolute Cadillac quality of comfort. Sometimes I stay over at the office just so I could spend the night in the thing. (laughs) Wow, wow. Any uh, less extravagant options? Well, let's see here. Uh, well, let's see here. Yeah, we have a few other options, which come in a variety of materials. This one is on the cheaper side, made of recycled soda cans, so it's lightweight. Oh, and here's another one that's made from concrete. Openable lid is an optional extra. That one takes extra time, though, because we have to pour the mold to order. Well, this uh, sure is a lot to think about. We also offer a suite of pre-owned options if you would like to see that catalog. I I think I'm going to go now and I'll I'll get back to you. I caught up with Mel a short while after the customer left. So how do you think that went? I don't know what the guy's problem was. He seemed like he wasn't really serious about buying. I don't have time for people who can't make up their mind. A little later in the morning, the mortician Johnny Team arrives at work. Everyone calls him Shakes around the office. He's a thin guy who seems to avoid being noticed and will often slip out of the room when the conversation turns away from him. He handles embalming and preparing the deceased for the service. He started working here as an intern six years ago because his uncle knew Mel and just sort of stuck around ever since. I'm I'm Shakes, uh, the mortician here at the home for the past. Well. I'm technically an apprentice mortician. And oh, oh, my real name is Johnny. Why do they call you Shakes? I get real shaky and woozy when I work on the, uh, customers. So, Mel started calling me Shakes because he sees my hands were shaking so much. Makes me real uncomfortable. Especially when he introduces me to the customers. A lot makes me uncomfortable, to be honest. I thought I'd get used to being near the bodies, but I never really have. I end up barfing almost every time, 
I think right before I die, I'll, I'll probably just puke just thinking about what the guy who has to handle me has to go through. What do you usually do to calm your nerves? At this point, I just sort of know I'm going to puke, so I just try to make it happen as soon as possible to get it out of the way, you know? Kind of a chicken and an egg situation, you know? Do I puke because it affects me? Or more if I just program myself to puke? So sometimes I'll just go in and stare into the eyes of one of the bodies. Then just hit the bathroom. Other times a smell will get me. Even thinking about it now. Oh, oh God, here, here we go. <laughs> Classic shakes. I waited a few minutes and Johnny cleaned himself up. Sorry about that. So, um, what's your least favorite part of the job? Well, on Tuesdays, Mel brings egg salad sandwiches and always offers me one, but I hate egg salad. But sometimes I eat one just to be nice. So, um, eating egg salad is probably my least favorite part of the job. Hey, Shakes, you take care of that lady's aunt yet? Looks like I gotta go. So yucky. Shakes does this every morning. Afterwards, he'll get himself cleaned up and head down to Taco Bell to get some lunch, where no one will know he's just been next to a dead body and puked all over the floor. After lunch, Davy stops in. Davy is a barber and amateur ghost hunter. He comes by the home a couple times a week to check for signs of spectral activity and just generally chat with Mel. Mel says he's a freeloader, but clearly has a soft spot for him. Davy insists that the parlor is positive indicators of being haunted with all the bodies around. I suppose if any place was haunted, this would be it. I mean, take a look at this place. It's pretty much as haunted as you can get. Dead people are getting shipped in and out of here. Mel won't let me set up permanent monitoring equipment to just validate the obvious though. I keep saying if he wants to open up a second business of a haunted house, all he has to do is charge people to come in. The ghosts are already here. By the way, I haven't seen you around here much. If you're a ghost, you legally have to tell me. I'm not a ghost. <laughs> not yet. At this moment, Mel comes out of his office and sees Davy has come in. Oh, looky It's the big ghoul guy. Ooh, if there's something off in the suburb, who you gonna ring? The ghoul guy! <laughs> hey! Ugh, never heard that one before. Hey Mel, where's Shakes? I have to ask him a few things. Sounds like he's in the bathroom. Like I always say, it's never too early to start thinking of your next puke. Oh, well, hey Davey. Hey Shakes, just the guy I was looking for. Uh, hey, I gotta ask you something. Any chance you have a second to think about what I asked you last week? D Davey, look, 
I'm not going to be putting sensors inside of nobody's, all right? Uh, I told you last week when you came in and asked me. Listen, this is Solnar. and could be the definitive proof of haunting in this town. I just know it. All I have to do is put a couple sensors in. I just keep telling you no, and you just keep asking. I won't do it. I don't even know that I could do it with all this handshaking and all. Also, I got, you gotta let me, you gotta look at this. Davy has asked both Mel and Shakes to help him collect data so many times at this point that Mel just walks away from this conversation. Mel's not big on the talk of apparitions, says it drives down business. As he puts it, if souls aren't staying in bodies, then why would you buy a nice, comfortable coffin? As Mel gets back to his office, the phone rings. Hello, Mel's home for the past. You've got Mel. Hi, uh, I was wondering if you had any extra large coffins? Most certainly. We have caskets in all sizes. Oh, good, because your mama's gonna need it. <laughs> Who, what? Gotcha, oh, damn it, Fred! Woo. Come on! God damn it, that was Fred Granite. He runs the headstone business on the other side of town. He's been a thorn in my side for 15 years. Thinks he's all better than me because his stones stay above ground. His business would be nowhere without me. I started the whole funeral market in this area before he can even conceptualize death. I was here before him, and I'm gonna be here after him. We'll see who has the... <coughs> we'll see who... <coughs> We'll see who is the last left. At the end of the day, Mel makes a couple more cold calls and shakes heads home. Mel usually sticks around the office until the late hours, tinkering on any number of ongoing projects that he's got going. Tonight he's fiddling with a radio. This thing's a piece of junk. I had it in my kitchen for ten years. One day last week it just starts cutting out. Some voice keeps coming through. It's talking about unfinished business and not finding peace. Who can find peace in these times? I can't get the ball game on it anymore without it freaking out. The next morning, I joined Mel at the funeral service he said I should come to in order to see the quote-unquote real action of the job. I got to St. Mary's Cathedral early and Mel was already there, unloading the casket from the hearse. A couple of close family members stood nearby, wanting to keep an eye on the proceedings but not wanting to be overbearing. As I stepped out, microphone in hand, I got the sense that Mel had not informed the family that a reporter would be there by their nervous glances. Hey Mel, morning. Hey, good morning. You made it. Yeah, sure did, sure did. Hey, uh, did you happen to mention to the family that I'd be coming today? You know, just clear with them. I, I don't want to be intruding or anything. Oh, them eyes fine. They're cool with it. I made the invite list and you, you're on it. So how can they say no? Anyway, I should get this casket inside and I'll smooth it over with them. Wiley went inside with the coffin. I met Marcus, the part-time driver of the Mel's home for the past hearse. 
He's been working on and off for Mel for the past two years. He waited outside the church with the hearse, sipping on an energy drink. I'm hoping I can get out of here early today. I'm meeting up with my buddies at the racetrack. I race in the local 50cc peewee karting league. Being the only guy there that's old enough to have his license really gives me a leg up. I'm hoping I can get scouted, get recruited for the next league. Here, check this out. Marcus shrugs off his jacket and pulls up his shirt to reveal a tattoo just below his ribcage. Hey, you know who that is? Um, Mr. Potato Head? Mr. Potato- No! That's Vin Diesel, Fast and Furious, baby! Pretty rad, right? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I think if I tilt my head I can see it. He's kind of a big inspiration for me. I've had a lot of tough moments in my life and I always think to myself, what would Vin do? And it helps me pull through every time. Would you mind telling me about a tough time when the mantra has really helped you? Well, let's see, uh... Well, last year, I borrowed my buddy's dirt bike and I was driving it around at night. I didn't see a big tree and I crashed into it, ruined the bike. Anyways, he didn't know I borrowed it, so I told him I saw a bear take it. And why is that something Vin Diesel would do? Well, because Vin never goes to jail in the movies, and I'm pretty sure he would have pressed charges. At that moment, Mel slammed open the doors to the church and made a beeline for us. Marcus, we got a big problem. That guy in the casket you brought? Wrong guy! I need you to go back to the home, get the right guy, bring him back here. Shakes will be there, he should be prepping him now. Usually it takes a couple of hours to get a customer ready, but this is gonna have to be a rush job. You got it, boss! Hey, uh, reporter, you guy, what would Vin do? Drop the gear and disappear. Oh, I can't believe this. Twice in a month. Good thing I started the upfront payment policy. I'll just have Davey add a few more positive Yelp reviews to balance this one out. Anyway, I know the priest, given the eulogy, so I slipped him a five, told him to vamp for a bit. Hopefully that should cover us. Does the family know what's happening here? Did you tell them? <laughs> the family? They selected a coffin that does not fall in the total honesty package price range. So no, I did not inform them. But regardless, we'll have this turned around no problem. Anyway, if you're looking for a place for lunch, there's a pastrami place down the block from here. You like pastrami? I've been going there for 15 years, about once or twice a week. They even got a sandwich named after me called the Mortician. <laughs> it's got pastrami on rye, lots of pickles, got mayonnaise. We spent a tense 10 minutes in the parking lot waiting for Marcus to return. Well, I was tense. Mel was cool as a cucumber. Well, as cool as the extra pickles he was munching on in his mortician sandwich. Finally, we heard the sound of the hearse approaching and Marcus screeched to a stop. He unloaded the casket and Mel wheeled it inside through the back entrance. I opted to wait outside as it was unclear whether Mel had managed to get me invited or just aggravate the family further. Whoa, pretty good run. 10 minutes and 21 seconds. I know we can break that 10 minute mark. I'll bet you we get there by the end of the year. Pretty good warm-up for the track today, too. So you guys have handled this situation before? 
Oh yeah, Shakes and I are really starting to nail the rolling loading maneuver. So I don't even have to come to a stop at this point. We're like a NASCAR pit team. Isn't that rough on the casket and the body? Well, Mel handles why the body isn't exactly perfectly arranged. Even when we have the time to get the body right, Shakes usually has a hard time making them perfect with his handshake so much. So it's not that big of a difference. If Shakes could run faster though, maybe I could shave a few more seconds off that time. As the ceremony concluded, the bereaved began to file out into the mid-morning sun. Mel stood at the door offering business cards and poorly timed jokes. I didn't catch many of them, but I did hear him say a little too loudly, You must be a morning person, am I right? I saw more than a couple of odd glances from the family, but most just seemed to continue on. No one knows what the expected behavior here is. Mel's own comfort with death is lost on those around him. The rest of us just haven't spent nearly as much time thinking about it or surrounded by it. For him, death is so logistical, so routine, that he's numb to it. Somehow, I admire him for that. He doesn't fear death. He makes poorly timed jokes about it. This American Life, it's your boy, Ira Glass. Each week on the program, we have a theme, an attempt, keyword there, attempt, to bring you stories based on that theme. Going against that, Act 3, big competitions come in small packages. With the advent of the internet, it's never been easier to find people who like the same things you do. Before, you used to just be the weird kid with the odd hobby. But today, we have a story of people with a very odd hobby who all meet up for a yearly competition. Smooth Jazz Jeremy with more. Hey, how's it going? Going pretty good. You found the place okay? This is Gary Newhart. He lives in Tonta, New Mexico. Gary works at one of the last 24-hour developing stores in the country. But as interestingly uninteresting as that sounds, that's not why I'm visiting him. I want to talk to him about what he does in his off hours. So, uh, this is the ant room. Wow. Yes, sirree, my pride and joy. I'll take you all around, around a little here. So, Gary uh, participates in competitive ant farming. How many ants do you think you got right now? Hmm, well, in here I have about uh, 5,000 or so for the entire time I've been doing it, which has been um, about 50 years. I've owned millions, yeah. That's a lot of ants. And of course, a long time, too. Oh, yep, yep. A hundred or so is about a good amount for one ant farm. It's kind of the standard in the ant farming world. Gary has been collecting ant farms since he was 10 years old. Oh, I was in love the first time I saw one. I was fascinated by how they moved through and dug their little tunnels. I felt like the fellow upstairs, you know. Just looking at them, minding their own business. Yeah, it was fascinating. 
Anytime I had pocket money, I would get one. I was hooked. Growing up in small town Minnesota, Gary quickly gained a reputation as the ant kid, which, suffice it to say, makes you an outcast and a target to the other kids. Oh yeah, they used to bully me on account of my collection. A lot of times it was the usual stuff of swirlies and roughing me up. Not very creative. You know, another time, me and my family was out on a vacation, and they found a way to open the windows and left some sugar and food in the house. They thought it would really get to me, you know, but uh, by the time we got back, the place was swarmed with ants, and jokes on them, I just rounded them all up, added them to my collection. What does your family think of your collection? Oh, my mother did not care for it one bit. She was constantly trying to get rid of them. But I would just get more. My father, on the other hand, would shake up my farms whenever he got mad at me, which I did not like at all. Gary's hobby also took a toll on his other relationships, including his marriage. I met my first wife, Maribeth, when I was 20 and she was about 18. We hit it off. I made the mistake of not telling her about the Anne thing until we were already married. Didn't help that the way I told her was by calling her into my old aunt room, and she comes in and I'm wearing my big aunt costume, as you do. Uh, she nearly fainted. They tried to make it work, but eventually came to a choice between the love of his life and his wife. He chose the ants. Around this time, Gary discovered competitive ant farming. It was like finding my people, you know? Here was a community of people that were as crazy about ants as I was. The group that organizes the yearly ant farming competition is the American National Terrarium Society. They have a stranglehold on the competitive insect collecting circuit. And to be honest, I think they just wanted the acronym to spell ants. They hold competitions all over the country from beetle shows to butterfly exhibits. Although shows might be flashier, the ant farming competition is where the real action is. Much like the ants they compete with, the people who get into ant farming are no frills, hardworking, and vicious. The shows are known for fierce competition, and there's no one fiercer than Gary. I made some ants on a log. It's, you know, my favorite snack. The little guys are so dang cute, sometimes I just want to eat them up. But, you know, peanut butter and raisins will have to do. If you need anything, let me know. Oh, and uh, can you use a coaster? Albuquerque is hosting the 78th annual ant farming competition and insect symposium this year, and Gary could not be happier. This is the first time it's been so close to home. You know, I've had to travel almost every year, so it's going to be a real nice change of pace to have it in my own backyard. Used to be hell getting all those ants through customs, I'll tell ya. Yeah? Oh yeah, I'll tell ya. This one time? Oh jeez. One time a customs agent cracked open one of the ant farms. Ants come pouring out all over. <laughs> she starts yelling about how there's ants everywhere. Oh, what a mess. Really brings new meaning to the phrase, ants in the pants. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I sure think it would. We arrive at the Crown Plaza Hotel, 
where the competition is being held, and start unloading the ants. Gary's already seeing some familiar faces. Oh, look, there's Todd Masters and his son. Hey, Todd, how's it going? Oh, you know, excited as ever. Right, Stephen? Uh, what are you running this year, Gary? Oh, just some classic black ants for the most part. I also brought some red ants, but uh, they're feeling a little lethargic this morning. <laughs> what about you two? Ooh, we got some red ants, but uh, between you and me, we decided to do something exciting this year. We got some bullet ants. I should explain. There are multiple categories of ants that people farm, from the tiny red ant to the rough weaver ant. There are over 10,000 known species of ants in the world, so sometimes categorization can get dicey. They try to have members of the same species compete. Otherwise, if there are too many species, they're sorted by size, color, and temperament. The most entered and the most sought after competition centers around the common black ant, which is what Gary's entering today. He's placed over 30 times and has won the last four years in a row. He's trying to go for his fifth win to knock the competitor with the longest winning streak off her throne. Her name was Marge Abernath, but everyone called her Aunt Marge. Oh, Aunt Marge, she's a legend around here. She won four competitions in a row. She wasn't able to make it to the fifth win on account of the fact that she died cliff jumping, though. Quite the pair of shoes to fill. Here comes Terry. Just act cool and natural. Gary seems shaken, and for good reason. They've had a rivalry for as long as anyone could remember. Some people should say that they didn't like each other from the word go, but Gary has another story. Our names sound similar. Your names sound similar? Yup, they sound similar. One of the first competitions we had together, they called the name and it sounded like mine, so I went up. To this day, Terry says it was his trophy, but I'm pretty sure they said Gary. Ever since, if people get our names mixed up or someone says the other one's name around us, we get mad, we get confused, just because they sound so similar. I've caught him multiple times trying to take my trophies. Terry walked up to us with the swagger of the big man around town. He's quite the sight with his slicked back black hair, oiled handlebar mustache and large figure. He was the king around here. At least, he wanted you to think so. Well, 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 look what we have here. If it isn't my old friend Gary, come to steal another one of my trophies, hmm? And who is this fellow with the microphone? You probably shouldn't waste your time with him. <laughs> I could say the same thing about you. Why don't you leave this half-rate ant farmer behind and do a story about me? Oh, just ignore him. What have you got this year, Gary? Trying for the Black Ant 5, Pete? Everyone knows you aren't going to beat Aunt Marge's record, but be my guest. After all, it'll make my victory sweeter knowing I ended your lucky streak. It's at this point that Terry pulled out his ant farm. Gary kept a cool head, but I could see in his eyes that Terry's farm had him worried. Well, good luck, loser. See you at the competition. Yeah, see, see you there, uh, loser. Good one. <laughs> And caught your tongue? Hey, Gary, how are you? 
This is Bella. She's kind of like the mom around here. She's also from the older generation, but she hasn't been around as long as Gary has. She also hasn't had the same success as Gary's had. But that hasn't stopped her from loving the sport. Well, if you need anything, you just let me know. And I have some ant-shaped cookies if you boys need to pick me up later. <laughs> it wasn't long before the competition started. First up were some of the more niche ants. A farm of rare Argentinian ants here, a platoon of soldier ants there. Small fries in an already very small world. Then we get to the more exotic and dangerous ants. It seems like only the most ardent thrill-seekers collect these ants. Aggressive jack-jumper ants, venomous maricopa harvester ants, which are the most venomous insects in the world, I'll have you know. And of course, the bullet ant. It's known for its incredible sting, which some cultures use as a warrior's rite of passage. Likewise, this seems to be a rite of passage for Todd and Steven, who are showing off their bullet ants. They judge on size, interesting tunnel work, and ant activity levels, among other things. Then it was time for the main event, the red and black ant competitions. These were the most popular by far, but the number of applicants didn't worry Gary. I'm not worried. Gary was going later on, so he had some time to prep. This is when Gary discovered a big problem that could break his winning streak. Someone shook up my ant farms. Gary is no stranger to this kind of sabotage. When he first started out, shaking up opponents' ant farms was common. It wasn't until ants cracked down on it that the practice stopped. Well, mostly. So what are you gonna do? I don't know. They shook up all the farms I brought. I mean, your number's coming up soon. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm gonna have to rush home, get another farm. Gonna have to find some next year. But tragedy usually like comes are. in pairs. Oh, Gary's geez. car wouldn't start. It's almost like God was working against Gary's championship aspirations. He was gonna need some help. Hey Gary, what can I do for you? Oh jeez, I'm in a bit of a tough spot here, Bella. Oh my. Someone really shook your farms up. What do you need from me? Oh well. I need to borrow your car, go across town, and get a different farm. Hmm. How about you and I talk privately? This was another side of the ant farm competitive scene, and another side of Bella. The favor economy. And Bella was like the favor kingpin. I tried to hear a bit of their conversation. This is gonna cost you, Gary. This is a big favor you're asking me. I know, but if I don't, then I'm gonna be out. Half the winnings. That's over $500. And you drop out of the Red Ant competition. Gary was desperate. But he didn't have a reputation to uphold in the Red Ant game. Oh, 
Okay. Gary was able to get back before his number was called. He didn't look happy when he got back, but mustered a smile for the judges. Even I could see the ant farm he got wasn't as good as the ones that got shaken. But it was all he had. I'm not gonna win. I can, I can feel it. The tunnels were rougher than the ones I originally brought. And he was right. The scores came in and Gary got third place. Good score, but not enough to break a record. I asked Gary how he felt about it. Well, considering the circumstances, I did pretty good. Not the win I wanted, but that's life, I suppose. Just wish Terry hadn't been the one to beat me is all. Oh yeah, Terry, Gary's nemesis, he came in first place. And he couldn't help but gloat. Oh Gary, this just in, looks like the best man won. Well, that's what happens when the best man shook up his competitor's ant farms. <gasps> Are you accusing me of farm taking? Oh, you know I am. I would never stoop so low. Oh, you wouldn't, would you? No, I wouldn't. I swear in my honor as an ant farmer. Those were big words. And you know what? I believed him. But if it wasn't Terry who shook up the farms, then who did? The only other suspect I can think of is Bella. She could have done it for the money and to get Gary out of the red ant competition. Turns out, it didn't take long to figure out the truth. Yeah, I shook up his ant farms. That's Todd Masters' son, Stephen. He didn't have as grand of motives as revenge or blackmail. I was just bored, and Gary is such a dummy that I just, like, shook him up. I hate coming to these tournament things, but this made it worth it. I caught up with Gary and told him who had shaken his ant farms. He couldn't help but laugh. Oh, well, yup. That, that makes sense. Kids, you know, uh, what are you gonna do? I expected him to be more worked up, but, but he had a good outlook on the whole thing. Looks like I need to start up my streak again next year. Yup next year. program today was produced by Will Kane and me, Theo Sapakos. An additional thanks to Connor Dalton, Rachel Robison, and Ann Reuter. Thank you as well to This American Life for being an amazing show that we would want to parody. Their website is thisamericanlife.org where you can stream their archive of over 750 episodes for absolutely free. This American Life is delivered to public radio stations by PRX, the public radio exchange. And of course, our co-founder, Tori Malatia. You know, he left me a very peculiar voicemail the other night. Hey, Ira. It's me, Tori Malatia. I just wanted to call because I've, I've been meaning to tell you something. I may have had a few drinks tonight, but I, th- I, I am in a, a fine state of mind right now. Ira, 
meeting you is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I sometimes put the show on while I feel alone just to hear your voice. I, I just can't keep it in anymore. I love you. I loved you ever since I first met you, and I've been keeping that inside for so many years. I know we both have families and such, but I can't keep living the lie. Do you feel the same? I just wanted you to know. Oh, Ira, if only we could run away together. Maybe open up a restaurant called This American Knife. I don't know, I'm just spitballing here. But I, I should go. I, I love you so much. Back next week with stories from Segment City.